so encouraged to be here this morning. Uh, so love what God is doing in and through this church. Uh, love uh, Matt and Tash and uh, love the team and uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for your support. Thank you already for your generosity. Uh, we appreciate that and uh, feel in a big way sent uh, from here as one of the places that we are being sent from to do what we trust uh, God will do uh, in Brisbane. Well, why don't we, um, why don't we pray as we come together uh, to God's word? Our Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would give us faith to receive your word understanding to know what it means and the will to put it into practice through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, the opening title of a short film produced earlier this year begins with this quote, if you're not collecting experiences, you're not living. If you're not collecting experiences, you're not living. Now, the film begins with a man uh, approximately 30 years of age being fired from his corporate job. And yet, he's smiling as he packs up his things. He high-fives his mate on the way out. He is free. And so he sets off on an incredible adventure. What then follows in this short film is uh, a pastiche, a montage of... All of those incredible experiences. You know, the sun is rising, the sun is setting, a time lapse of the stars coming out over a cosmopolitan city, trekking in Nepal, kayaking in the Pacific, riding mopeds in a bustling Asian metropolis, catching a glassy beach break wave without the crowds of Bondi, running to catch trains, a train ride by the ocean, a train ride through the fields, the spectacular and panoramic view of the green Andes mountains in Peru, complete with those bizarre 15th century dry stone walls. He even at one point is holding an eagle and releases it in the desert from a mountain, a symbol of freedom. He's catching fish in the snow while staying in a log cabin. He's playing polo on the back of a camel in the Middle East. He's dirt biking alongside a European castle. He is strumming a guitar on a boat in the Mediterranean, rock climbing impossible cliffs, cliff jumping, shark swimming, caring for a baby turtle and documenting every moment on his digital SLR, on his iPhone 6, with selfies galore. And yet in the middle of those travels, we, we, we get some other scenes into the things that are going on within his life as he sets up a creative studio, no longer working for someone else, but has the flexibility of being his own boss and working with his mates. And there's at least one scene where he has an argument with his partner, but that finds resolution as he's demolishing a wall and together they are renovating their first home. And then comes the joyful celebration of their wedding reception. At only two and a half minutes, there is a lot jam-packed into this short film. Now, the name of the film is called Experience Collectors. Experience Collectors. It's a very apt name, isn't it? It's actually an advertisement for a company. 
Is it for a travel agent? Is it for a bank loan? Nope. It's a beer ad. (laughs) Of course it's a beer ad. All of those experiences are united by the scenes of sharing a beer with your mates in all of those exotic locations and experiences of life. But I think the film, I think the commercial, uh, really sums up something of the 20-something and 30-something culture of our day, culture of this city. Perhaps right now you're on YouTube looking up experience collectors. E-X-P, you can work out how to spell it, so that you can buy that beer and so that you can have those experiences. But I guess the question is, uh, is that the sum total of life? We live and we breathe and while we have breath, we fill our lives with experiences. If you're not collecting experiences, you're not living. But is that actually true? According to cultural analyst Mark Sayers, uh, he says, in the absence of a story or foundation that gives hope or meaning, life has become a never-ending quest for pleasure and experience. Instead of being good, people want to feel good. You see, if there is no overarching story, if there is no foundation for life, it actually sounds like pursuing the life of the experienced collector is the way to go, isn't it? Doesn't that sound like the life? Doesn't that sound like the way to spend every breath, every moment that you have on this planet? But what if there is an overarching storyline? What if there is a foundation for everything, a narrative that holds everything together? And I want to suggest to you this morning that, that God, the author of life, is writing an overarching story, is at work with the narrative in this world that he has made. God is doing a work in this world. God is doing something in this generation. Now, perhaps you're here this morning and you don't really need convincing of what God is doing in this world. You're on board with it. You're all in. You've signed up to God's agenda in this world and you're living in light of what God is doing and the story that God is telling. Or maybe you're here today and you know the story of what God is doing. Perhaps for many years you've known the stories in the Bible. You even have memory verses that you memorised when you were younger. But you're not necessarily on board with it. You know the story. You know the God but you're really just approaching life as if there is no other story. You're approaching life like an experience collector. Or maybe you're here today and you're new to Christianity. You've only just started checking Jesus out. You've only just started considering the Bible. You may not even be convinced that there is a God. We are stoked that you're here. I'm personally stoked that you are here. I don't know you, but this is a place to be, to check out Jesus. You are welcome here. You are welcome with your doubts. You are welcome to ask your questions. But I guess whatever your worldview is today, every single one of us here needs to hear that there is a God. He is at work in the world. And there is a story. There is a foundation that does give hope, that does give meaning. 
And so what is the story that God is writing? What is the foundation that this story is built upon? Well, central to God's purposes and God's plans and the story that God is unfolding in the world as we speak, the story that God is writing is the church. It is the church. Jesus is building the church. The the, the church that Jesus is building is not a typical building. It's not a performing arts centre. It's not a a, a building of bricks. It's not a building of stained glass windows. It's it's not a building in the traditional sense. It's a, a building that is made up of people. Jesus is gathering together for himself a people. God's agenda in the world is the building of the church. If you've got a Bible, I'd get you to open it to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, the verses we'll be looking at will also be up on the screen. Uh, Likewise, if you've got a phone, you could go to Bible.com or some type of Bible app uh, to follow along. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says in verse 18, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus says, I will build my church. I am doing something in this world. Jesus, the one revealed in the Bible as God, come to us as a person. He takes the church really seriously. He is the one building the church. He is the one making it, constructing it, such that in such a way, in such a strong way, it's not just cyclone proof. It is hell proof. The dark forces of Satan and hell will not beat it, will not prevail against the church, against the people that God is gathering. Jesus is building his church. That is his work in the world. And Jesus loves the church. Perhaps for you, as you even hear the word church, you kind of freak out a little bit because there's been people in churches that have let you down. You've been hurt. You've been burnt. But, but Jesus takes the church seriously. Jesus thinks that the church is a precious, precious thing. The church is precious to Jesus. It just after saying that he is going to build the church, it says further down in verse 21, it says this about Jesus, Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I love it. Immediately after Jesus has said, this is my intention, this is what I am doing, he he actually speaks about something that he's about to do that becomes the foundation for the church. He says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not to some party, but to a cross. I'm on my way to Jerusalem to suffer, to die and to be raised. You see, Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church and he lays the foundation for this building by laying down his life for us. You see, the foundation that that gives hope and meaning to life is Jesus, His person, His work, and in particular, His death and resurrection. You see, that's how seriously Jesus takes the church. That is the purpose for which He came, was to actually die, 
to gather for himself a people of his very own. You see, that is good news. That is good news for us this morning. That is good news for us every morning. That is good news for all people throughout all time. And it is good news because all people throughout all time, all people in this building now, in this city, in this country, in this world, everything, everyone, every human that has breath, we have a problem. Our problem is a sin problem. The Bible says that each and every single one of us are guilty of sin. What is sin? It's not just a list of naughty things that you do or crimes that will get you sent to jail. Sin is, sin is two things, it's rule-breaking and rule-making. It's rule-breaking, that's obvious enough, isn't it? If God has given some rules and we break them, there's the, there's the, there's the rule-breaking side. God says, do this and you don't do it. Well, that's breaking His rules. God says, don't do this and you do do it, that's breaking his rules. That's rule breaking. But the deeper heart of sin is not just the rule breaking, it is the rule making. It is living as if there is no God. I I am God. I am in charge of my life. I, I come up with how I live and what I do and where I do it. You see, the reality is that each and every single one of us are guilty of rejecting God in that way. I remember hearing the story a number of years ago of um, an ordinary day in the CBD of Sydney. Uh, and on this particular day, uh, lunch lunchtime is taking place. City workers are scattered around uh, doing some casual shopping, eating some sushi, enjoying their few moments off from their work before they go back for the afternoon slog. But on this particular day, there was a blackout in the CBD. And the blackout took place at David Jones. And if you know where David Jones is, there's no windows in David Jones. Uh, and so when there's a blackout, and when the generators also don't kick in immediate with, immediately with light, it means it was pitch black in David Jones at that day on that lunch hour. What happened in the 10 minutes that it took from the lights going out to power being restored was hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of merchandise was stolen. Now, who stole on that day? The people who were in David Jones at lunchtime, did they wake up that morning and think, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go to DJ's at lunch and I'm going to steal that handbag, that shoe. You probably get two shoes is better than getting one shoe. Now, this wasn't people who actually needed to steal. They're city workers, I'm fairly sure they could have afforded to buy the thing that they were actually looking at at the time. But given the opportunity of darkness, given the opportunity of no one seen and not being found out, they actually showed what is within their hearts. They showed the darkness of their hearts and they showed what really is within them. You see, each of us, given the opportunity, will show sin, will show our rebellion will show the darkness that is within our hearts simply given the opportunity. And you know what? The consequences of sin are terrible. Because of sin, we're out of relationship with each other. You know, the people you love the most, you hurt the most. Broken relationships, broken families all over the place. And it's because of sin. It's because of our rebellion against God. But, but the deepest and darkest consequence is that we are out of relationship with God. We cannot be in relationship with Him. We cannot be in His presence. We cannot walk with Him. We cannot talk with Him. We cannot know Him. And yet along comes Jesus. Jesus is the only one of whom it can be said, He was without sin. And so when Jesus 
dies on the cross. He's actually dying the death that we deserve. You see, Jesus is the one who lived the life that we failed to live and He dies the death that we deserved to die and He rises again to give us life to all who trust in Him. You see, as Jesus was dying on the cross, poured out on His head on that day, in that hour, in that moment of darkness, was the darkness that is within us, was our sin, was our guilt, was our shame, were the consequences of our sin, the the anger of a holy God, the wrath of a righteous God, Jesus took it all, Jesus paid it all, He, He paid a debt that He didn't even owe, because we owed a debt that we could not pay. You see, Jesus lived the life that we failed to live, He died the death that we deserve, and He rises again to give life to all who trust in Him. You see, all who trust in Jesus are then gathered together as Jesus' people, gathered together as the people of God, people who once were not a people now become the people of God, people who are shown mercy and are now part of the church, are now part of a community that is not just here and now, in this space, at this time, and all across the globe, across this Sunday, as Christians meet, they are meeting as the church, but we belong to an even bigger church than just a a group this size, in a group this space. We belong to the people of God for all eternity. We are rescued, we are redeemed, we are brought from death to life, we are brought from hopelessness to hope for eternity. And so there's a sense in which as you do church, as we meet in gospel communities, as you meet here Sunday by Sunday, as you share life with one another as the church, it is a foretaste of eternal life, of the life that we share with Jesus, the one who died to make church happen for eternity. See, God's great agenda in the world is getting more people in here. God's great agenda in the world is is rescuing more people. There's a sense in which our sin problem, our rebellion against God means we're drowning. There's nothing we can do to swim to safety. We are dependent on someone reaching down and pulling us into the life raft. And there's a sense in which the church is the life raft. Keep filling this building until no one can fit in here. Go to the next building, keep filling that building until no one else can fit in there. You continue to gather more and more people together, more and more people together as they find hope, as they find rescue, as they find refuge in the church, in Jesus' people. God is continuing to be at work in this world. You you watch the news or you read uh, the news online or you you see videos on news websites and so forth and there's bad news after bad news after bad news. There's stories in your local community that are horrifying. There's things that are going on in your life that are tragic. And yet God is doing something good in the midst of that darkness. God is calling out of that darkness a people for Himself, a people to belong to Him, a people to be part of the church. And so for for many of us here today, you've heard this message before, haven't you? You've heard the message of what Christ has done to, to gather you as one of His people. Every time you hear that message, be stoked. Be stoked that He has rescued you 
that he has taken you from darkness and brought you to light, that he has taken you from death and brought you to life, that you can be one of his people, that you can belong to Jesus. But perhaps, perhaps some of us here this morning, uh, we've heard this many times before, or maybe we're only hearing the, this message of Jesus for the first time, but you've never really given yourself to the church. Well, if we don't give ourselves to the church, there's a sense in which we're not really giving ourselves to Jesus. And so the challenge for you today, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, if you've never really gone, I am all in with the people of God, I am all in with Jesus and His people, the challenge today is, well, is to do that, is to put your trust in Jesus, is to give yourself to Jesus, is to give yourself to Jesus' people. Jesus is the only way that you can have your sin dealt with. Jesus is the only way that you can have hope, not just in this life, but hope for eternity. Jesus is at work and so trust in Him and you will have hope. You will have meaning. You will have significance. You will know the story of what God is doing and where history is going and what eternity will be like. You will have a foundation upon which to build your life and to build your eternity as you put your trust in Jesus. But what does it look like to be part of the ongoing story of the church? This is an important question. This is an important question if you are a follower of Jesus, to consider what does it look like for you to be all in? What does it look like to be on about what God is on about in the world? If this is God's agenda, what does it look like for you to be committed to what God is doing in the world? But likewise, if you're not a Christian, you're still checking Jesus out, here will give you a glimpse of what it will mean to come to Jesus and then have your life changed by Jesus, what it means to then commit to Him, what it means to then commit to His people. And so there's, I guess there's two big ways to get on board with God's story of the church and, 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 and what God continues to do through the church. Two big ways uh, that each and every single one of us, whether we're already part of the church or whether we're considering becoming part of Jesus and His church, two, two big ways to be part of that ongoing story of the church. Number one is shine the light and number two is share the light. Uh, turn, to your, turn to your neighbour and say, uh, shine the light. Come on, turn to your other neighbour and say, share the light. Okay, good. Two big ways, shine the light and share the light. Let's talk about the first one, shine the light. We are called, if we belong to the church, to shine the light, to, to live so that people will notice. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, that the, the church is to shine like a light. We don't hide it. We don't keep it covered. There's no private Christian. We actually live boldly. People are to look at the church and see that there's something different about us. And so we are called here by Jesus as those who belong to Jesus to be different. We live so that people will notice. Not that they will notice us and make much of us, but that they will notice our Father in heaven and bring glory to Him and bring praise to Him. 
that they will see that we are a people that have been transformed by an incredible God who takes what is dead and brings it to life. You see, we are called to, uh, to shine like massive Batman floodlights. You know, those ones in the dark sky that point upwards and there's a sense in which those lights cannot be missed, but they're pointing upwards to a, a greater reality as they point to our God and point to our Father. You see, the church, we are called to be a countercultural community. We are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to be distinct. We are called to be seen and noticed as being different in the way that we go about life. Yes, we've, we, we look the same physically as the people who live next door to us, but the things we value, the love we show, the care we give, the light we shine makes us stand out as radiant, makes people look on and go, what is it about that person? What is it about their God that they are like that? See, as we love and as we serve and as we, we, as we give, we are, we are to do that for God's glory. As we are the light of the world, as we are a city on a hill, as, as we seek to, to live distinct, bold, God-glorifying lives, He gets the glory. Now, there are times when living in the light, as people of the light, who people who are, we are described as the light of the world, and we follow the light of the world, Jesus. As we follow Him, as we then live in the light, part of living in the light will mean there will be times where we've actually got to call out darkness. We've got to point to darkness and say, that is darkness. That is wicked. That is evil. We've actually got to boldly, as people of the light, call out the things of darkness. But my guess is, most of the time, our call is to actually be the light. Our call is, if we are the light, to shine, to be different. And there's plenty of times you won't need to say, look, that's darkness. It will be obvious. And so as a countercultural community, as we approach ethical issues, as we approach relationships, as we approach business life, as we approach politics, as we approach all of those different areas of life in our society, we seek to honour God. We, we seek to do what is right and to live in the light, but not necessarily by becoming the moral police and pointing out to everyone, and being that person on Facebook that's just after everyone and every issue, and the tone has never got light within it. You know, when it comes to sexuality, uh, it's fairly obvious the ways in which our world thinks very differently from the Bible when it comes to sexuality, isn't it? I, I read a, a Vanity Fair article this week, you may have seen it as well, it got shared around on Facebook a bunch of times, basically profiling uh, a whole bunch of New York City uh, young professionals in their 20s and kind of describing the sexual culture that uh, is amongst them and their uh, peer group. And basically talking about how Tinder has changed sex into even more of just an app. It's a commodity. It's on tap. It's there. It's available. Uh, another big news item this week, we, obviously the, the Ashley Madison uh, database of 30 million plus uh, possible users of this website, the slogan of the website, life is short, have an affair. 
And likewise, uh, the issue of our day in our country right now as we speak is, is, is the ongoing question of same-sex marriage and that's an important discussion to be having. In, in each case, we, we could actually look at perhaps our friends who aren't followers of Jesus, who hold a different view to us in this area and say, you're all disobeying God, stop it! We, we could say that and there might well be opportunities where we've got to say that. But the big call from us to us as the church in Matthew chapter 5 is to shine as a light, to be part of a, not, not just this holy little huddle that never actually interacts with the world in the church, but the church we gather, but then as we scatter, people keep seeing the churchy bits in us. They keep seeing the light that is within us. They keep seeing that we behave differently when it comes to sexuality. They see that we behave differently when it comes to faithfulness within marriage. They see that we behave differently when it comes to this whole area. We shine as a light and that light becomes attractive. Uh, During my uh, undergraduate degree, I did primary school teaching uh, and one of the art subjects that I did was called the Sociology of Australian Families. And one of the things I used to try to do within the... They knew we didn't do the tutorial readings. No one does the tutorial readings. And so they got one person for each week to actually do the readings and do a presentation. And so keen young Christian Dave, uh, he would always... I'm speaking in the third person. I would always look through and go, where can I talk about Jesus to my university class in one of these stories, uh, one of these um, readings. And uh, for this particular subject, I found one that was all about marriage and was all about how, um, uh, it was about how women had been let down by men. It was a strongly feminist written article uh, and this class had 28 women in it and there was two dudes in this class. And, and I stood up and I stood in front of the class and I said, look, these things that have been reported here, if and when men are doing these things, that is terrible. I agree with this reading. That is awful. It took about five minutes to do that. And then I took about 25 minutes and said, let me paint a different reality for you. And I opened Ephesians chapter 5 and I talked about God's picture of a a loving marriage and the way that relationships are supposed to work. I got hounded down. The the way that people were speaking to me was, um, uh, was horrifying. And yet there were people listening and uh, eventually showing some respect. And then after the class, there's one woman, I knew her story, she was about 45, she was divorced, I knew some of the hard things that had gone on in her life and she came and she looked at me with a tear in her eye and said, tell me more, tell me more. You see, as we live, it's not just standing up in front of a tutorial, but as we live out our marriages, as we live out our singleness, as we live out uh, every relationship within life, people are supposed to look on and see the way that we relate with one another and, and say, tell me more. In a world, in a city, in this city with so much, it's so beautiful but so broken. This is a place of refuge where we shine a light as we live differently in this city. Likewise, as we think about politics and as we think about engaging in politics, I'm not particularly interested whether you vote left or whether you vote right, but I noticed yesterday the opening of the Barangaroo headlands in the, in the city, uh, which looked amazing. And uh, this, I was about to say our state premier, but I don't live in New South Wales anymore. Uh, the state premier, uh, Mike Baird, is increasingly being respected on both sides of politics. 
And I watched this short little one-minute video where he was interviewing. So Mike Baird, uh, Liberal Premier, interviewed Paul Keating, former Labor Prime Minister. And it was genuine. There was respect. And he said, Paul Keating, this was part of your vision for this public land. You must be so proud. And there was just a level of political discourse at that point that went, this dude's not just trying to win arguments all the time for his particular political agenda. He's a human being. And the more people talk about this guy, and again, I don't care which side of politics you vote, but he is a follower of Jesus. And the more people that know him, they see that he is different in that space without always standing up and preaching Jesus from every talk that he gives. It's not like he's even doing that. But his whole discourse, his whole method, his whole mode is making much of Jesus as he shines a light into that space. Shine a light into the spaces that you're in. Shine a light into your workplace. Shine a light into your university. Shine a light into the Zumba class at the ca- above the cafe just down the road. Wherever you are, shine a light into those spaces that you are walking, that you are talking the people that you are with. You know, what an opportunity through something like simple love. Care for asylum seekers through what is really a simple but yet profound act of generosity. I've done a fair bit of work in the asylum seeker space and so forth. Do you know there's Iranians in Australia becoming Christian every week because Christians are loving them? Through simple love, through simple acts of generosity, mercy and kindness. You know, that's one of the things I love about City on a Hill. It is a church... See, here's one of the things. Bible-believing churches sometimes forget the mercy bit, forget the generosity bit. You know, we bang on about the Bible, we bang on about telling people about Jesus, and we should do that. But we, we don't love the poor. We don't love the sick, the sad, the suffering. We don't help the orphan. We don't help the widow. Uh, that's one of the things I love at City on a Hill. And uh, City on a Hill has a ministry that we call Many Rooms. It began five years ago, and we uh, provide meals for some of Melbourne's uh, most vulnerable uh, on a Friday night in the CBD um, for dinner and Saturday morning for breakfast, Saturday lunch uh, in North Melbourne. And, and we are seeing, um, we've, we've seen 30,000 meals uh, served through that ministry and lives changed. We've regularly got homeless people that are coming to church with us uh, and, and are part of our fellowship and are... Um, uh, I've been loved in, in radical ways. But let me tell you briefly the story of one man. Uh, his name is Peter, and he is a volunteer. He's a primary school teacher, a volunteer at many rooms. Uh, he began some art classes at our class at our Saturday kitchen. But while he um, enjoyed the relationships that he was having at the community centre with homeless people, he discovered this ongoing need through a few conversations with different people that he spoke to. Um, various people that he spoke to had had a shower. And the conversation was something like this. Oh, that's great. That must feel so great to have had a shower. And the homeless person says, yeah, it it does. But then I I put my dirty clothes back on. And it feels like I didn't have a shower in the first place. And and so out of these conversations that just kept happening, Peter began thinking, how can I meet this need? I I can do something. I've got some money. Why don't I spend it to actually help people wash their clothes? He spoke to a number, just independently, spoke to a number of laundromats around Melbourne and he came up with the idea of each Saturday morning actually just kind of booking out a laundromat, providing free clothes washing, free food and free relationship and community. And he's been experimenting with that idea for a number of months now and he was doing it in one area, then worked out, hey, it would be better to do it a bit closer to the community centre that we work out of. 
And it's been a successful thing. We've had people come, there's this one dude, Leon, that comes to church and he's got some crazy ideas. But I love chatting to him after church. And he came through that relationship, through being loved in that space as he had his clothes washed. Now, what a great example of good works, of shining the light so that God, our Father in heaven, is glorified. Martin Lloyd-Jones said these words about Matthew chapter 5. He said, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made uh, to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. You see, as we're living differently, we show people that we are the hope of the world. We belong to Jesus. We've been changed by Jesus. We've been rescued by Jesus. We belong to his people. Anchor Church, in your short history, I'm already encouraged by the stories that I hear, by the things that I see your gospel communities are doing to love, to shine, to to, to show that you belong to Jesus, that you live in the light by the way that that you live and you love. You see, as we live differently, we bring glory to the God who has saved us. So number one, we we shine the light. And as we shine the light, that leads naturally to the second thing, we, we share the light. The second big way that we are on board with the story of what God is doing through the church. And as that Martin Lloyd Jones quote said, I think the more that we shine the light, the more we'll have opportunities to share the light, to actually speak about the hope that we have because of Jesus. The final thing that Jesus says to his followers in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 28, you can look it up, Matthew 28, he says to them, the final thing he says is that, the, that they need to share the light, that they need to let this message, let this story share the news of what Jesus has done to the ends of the earth. It's called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't have enough time to really dig into this in, in death, but that's good news, isn't it? Jesus has conquered the grave. He's alive and he says, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me and I'm giving you a mission. I'm giving you a task. I'm giving you a command. Go, make disciples. Go, get more people to follow me. Share the light that you have seen. Show the light that you have seen. Point people to me and my message, and my death, and my resurrection, and my people, and my church, and my mission. And these disciples that are gathered before Jesus, they are already following Jesus. And they are called to then go and make more disciples, who in turn are taught to observe all that God, Jesus has commanded them as well. And so there's this process of Jesus' disciples, they're following Jesus are told, go make some more people to follow Jesus, who will then make some more people to follow Jesus, who will then make some more people to follow Jesus, who will then make some more people to follow Jesus. And thank God that that chain has kept going and kept going and kept going. And Jesus wasn't lying when he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus is building. As that message has passed from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, it's been passed to us. And we have the opportunity to continue to share the light, share the hope, share the message of Jesus and who he is and what he has done. 
Not with one particular people group, not with one particular demographic, but with all people from all nations to the ends of the earth. Baptizing and teaching, telling people, no, your allegiance is now. Baptism in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit means your allegiance is now no longer to the things of the world, but to God. Teaching them to be obedient, live radically different lives because of what Jesus has done. There's a sense in which for me personally, as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, is when I first really got the good news of what Jesus has done. Up until that point, I'd grown up in a religious family and I thought God would accept me because I was religious. I was pretty good. I didn't do the dumb stuff my friends were doing at school and I thought God was happy with me for that. But at the age of 17, at the age of 18, understanding, no, 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 the way that I'm accepted by God is not by what I do but trusting in what Jesus has done. And very quickly after that, realising that it's not about what I do but what Jesus has done, I realised I've got to do something. It's not make much of me. It's not think I'm good but I want to point them to the one who is good. I want to give my life to sharing Jesus, give my life to making Jesus known. And so as I finished school, I got invited on a a summer mission and uh, we got taught a little gospel outline, a message of Jesus outline and got given opportunities to share Jesus. And I thought, this is amazing. I want to give my life to this thing. And so from the age 18, it shaped the way I went about my, my gap year as I worked in a sports shop. I wanted to have conversations with the people, customers. I wanted to have conversations with the people that were, I was working with. Uh, I then went to university. It shaped the way I thought about university and the way I would stand up in a, a, a tutorial and try to talk about Jesus because I desperately knew people needed to know about Jesus. It has then shaped all my decisions since then. It has shaped me going to work for a church, go to a Bible college, go work in a church, go move to Melbourne, go, God willing, move to Brisbane and be part of that ongoing mission of disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples as we share the light of Jesus, the one that we follow. You know, one of the things I love at City on a Hill, the first time I walked in there two years ago, just visiting, was how clear they were on about Jesus. I feel that as I walk into Anchor Church, the second time I've been here, I feel you guys are on about Jesus. You bang on about Jesus a lot. But if you come to City on a Hill, you will hear 10 times that we are on about doing everything under the one banner of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. It's not a complex mission statement. We know Jesus and we make Jesus known. And we keep doing that until every single person in Melbourne knows Jesus. Every single person in West Melbourne, Geelong, Brisbane and beyond knows Jesus. And every week we are hearing stories of people who are becoming Christian. People who may have had a Christian background but have come back to church for the first time for a long time and other people who have just never heard of Jesus before. There's this one fellow, Dave, chiropractor. He, um, he came to me after church uh, a couple of months ago seeking prayer from our prayer team and he said, I hadn't met him before, he said, Dave, I, uh, I've got the knowledge bit of Christianity. I just want the heart bit. Can you tell us, how do I become a Christian? This just keeps happening. He'd been coming to church for a couple of months, uh, but the thing that strikes me about this guy's story, uh, as he became a Christian there and then, is he had a friend who for years had been talking to him about Jesus. That friend moved to Tasmania and he kept talking to his friend about Jesus. He said, check out this podcast, go check out this church. He comes to church and then he becomes a Christian and then a week later, 
Dave rocks up ready to share Jesus with his friends. He's got three people seated beside him. I get a text message from him just this week and he said, Dave, I've uh, been sharing the gospel uh, with a Japanese guy. Can you help me find someone that can speak Japanese just to help me a little bit as I follow him up? Here is a guy who gets the gospel, who the, the light has been shared with him and now he is a follower of Jesus and wants to help others to be followers of Jesus, help others to be followers of Jesus, help others to be followers of Jesus. Who shared the good news of Jesus with you? Praise the Lord. Who do you currently know that perhaps you're the one that God will use to share the light, to shine the light and to share the light? It's a big, bold and audacious challenge from Jesus. But he says there that, behold, I will be with you till the end of the age. He has sent his Holy Spirit, to be with us in this task. There's a man named C.T. Studd who was an English cricketer. He actually played in the Ashes in 1882, the original match that became the Ashes Ashes, right? Uh, he was an English cricketer. I don't think we like them at the moment, apparently, but I don't really care too much about cricket. But he, he also had a, a law degree from Cambridge. He had the world at his feet. He had this family fortune. He had an impressive international cricketing career, he had this law degree and this law career and yet he forsook it all. He was challenged to be a missionary and so he packed up everything. He followed the famous missionary Hudson Taylor to China uh, and he preached Jesus and he preached Jesus and he preached Jesus. He got seriously ill, he went back to England, he didn't stay long because he just wanted to get back out on the mission field. This time he went to Africa, he died in the Congo, giving his life to making Jesus known and sharing the light of Jesus. And there's this amazing quote that, that inspires me from C.T. Studd. He says this, he says, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Give yourself to, to sharing the light, to, to making Jesus known in the world. This is a church that is already having a big impact and who knows what God will do as you continue on that mission. I, I love Sydney. I love this city and I pray that God would use you in this city to reach many more disciples. But we've moved our family to Melbourne uh, and we're about to move our family again to Brisbane. It kind of feels a little bit crazy, right? That's some fairly big moves in less than 18 months. It feels like a sacrifice. It is. It's come at a big cost. But if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Ed Stetzer says that church planting is where the action is. More people become Christian through church planting than through any other churches. And so as, as we share the light here in this place, as you share the light in this place, as City on a Hill in Victoria, as City on a Hill in Brisbane, let's keep being communities of people that are disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Let's give ourselves to that something bigger. Let's give ourselves to that mission. There is more to life than just collecting experiences. Jesus is building his church. He died to make church happen, to gather us as the people of God. And so our task now, as God keeps writing this story, built on the foundation of Christ, is to, is to shine the light and to share the light. Do you want to give yourself to that mission? Let me pray to that end.
Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the person that you put in our life at the right time to point us to Jesus, who, who was shining like a light and who was sharing the light. Father, we, we thank you so much for the way that you have brought us into your family. And Father, we, we pray that you'd help us to give our all to the mission in this world. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to not rest to do whatever it takes to love the people around us, to shine the light of Jesus within us and to share Jesus' love, to share the message of what he has done in his death, in his resurrection. And so, Father, we, we pray that you'd go ahead of us and we pray expectantly knowing that you will use us and you do use ordinary people, not for our glory but for yours. And so we pray that you would be at work through Anchor. We pray that you would be at work uh, through City on a Hill, we pray that you would be at work in each and every single one of us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.